the more you die to yourself the more life you give to others that's something that i think the more of the i is there like my mom says about the i but when you cut it across it becomes a cross so every time when that i comes up whether it's in your marriage or whether it's with the children or whatever i'm learning still with my kids and you think of like how can i be humble and how can i die to myself you know this is the hbic podcast our discipleship weekly where we talk with folks from hbic and dig into the practical side following Jesus in their lives. I'm Ryan Cagno. This week I talked with Shanti Michael about um, the legacy of her parents um, serving the Lord in Nepal and other places and kind of how she envisions the spiritual life now, the past 22 years living in central Pennsylvania, um, and about what a surrendered life looks like, that, that process and just kind of some of the spiritual principles that guide her life. Um, really profound person and profound conversation. Hope you enjoy and hope you subscribe. We have new episodes weekly on Fridays or Thursdays or thereabouts. Shanti Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How are you, Ryan? I'm well. I'm sorry that it took six months after your husband was on, on twice, two episodes to get I you on. I forgive you, Ryan. Okay, thank you for thank you for publicly absolving Aww. me. Um, it's great to have you. Um, I'm still getting to know you a little bit. We've talked yeah. a number of times, but yes. um, would love for to just start with kind of laying out more detail your story and kind of your family heritage and mm-hmm. um, and then maybe how that kind of weaves into your spiritual mm-hmm. formation journey. Sure. Yeah. I was born in Kerala. It's a southernmost part state of mm-hmm. uh, India. I'm not great with geography, but I can just say that much. I was born there, but I grew up in Nepal and India, both. My mm-hmm. parents worked in Nepal for many years, so I have memories of my childhood in Nepal and uh, the rest of my teenage years and everything in in Delhi, which is the capital of India. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, my parents, they, uh, right after they got married, they left Kerala, the South Indian uh, state, and they had a vision, my mom had a vision that God was calling them to a mountainous place uh, where the greatest peak of the world was there, but she didn't know at that time it was Mount Everest and Mm. it was Nepal, they didn't have any idea. And this is in the 60s. So um, she just went and she has uh, different gifts like visions and prophecies and from a very small age, the age of nine. So I grew up with a mother who had all these gifts. So that in several visions she had seen this and one of the vision was that they were going to Nepal and um, they were good uh, partners and uh, they really both, my dad also had this calling. He just felt he wanted to go to an unreached place. And he was already working as a teacher and going to be a principal and all that. So they both were kind of like in education. My mom did also seminary. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of different parts of my mom, I can say, because I'm a big fan of hers. <laughs> and um, she has done amazing things, and so has my dad. But my dad, my mom came to study in U.S. in the 50s, so to be a doctor. She didn't complete it, uh, but she did something called rural nursing course in India, and she also did a seminary because she was preparing to do God's work and be a missionary. She had a brother who was already like a missionary working, so those were the two people, I think, who went into ministry work. So so because my dad and mom had the same vision of going to a place to reach out and teach, and Nepal was the only, one of the only Hindu king, kingdoms in the world, 
Yeah. So they felt like that may be a place, and there were other Indians who were teaching there already. Um, and where was this? Where was the state of the Christian church in Nepal at that point? In the nothing. 60s? There nothing. was nothing there. It was all. Um, uh, nobody had heard about Christians. I mean, I think there were Catholic, um, you know, priests who had come and preached. Probably Bernard knows the history better. But fifties, uh, I think, was the earliest people started coming in because it was a very closed kingdom, mm-hmm. and it slowly opened up in the fifties. People were praying outside the border. These are stories I've heard from my mom and dad. So they prayed, and the doors were open, and then people started coming in. They were waiting to come into Nepal to preach the gospel and do like medical work. A lot of them came as teachers, doctors, nurses, because you were not allowed to preach; you would be arrested. You know, just like in China and stuff. So there were people who were believers, but they couldn't preach. You know, now of course with the, you know, it's you can celebrate Easter and have churches and all. Those days, no. And I think my parents were saved because they were teachers, and they never openly, you know, kind of stood out and preached. But those who did, they got arrested and mm. they were kept in prison and beaten and all that stuff. So the early church was not there at that time. Yeah. And it was primarily, you said primarily, it was a Hindu kingdom. Yes. Was, there, was there a Buddhist presence there as yes. well? Yes, Buddhist, okay. Muslims. Yeah, but okay. those are like minorities. Hindu is, just like India, mm-hmm. Hinduism is a majority in India too. Okay. Yeah. They are neighboring countries. So, right. Yeah. Nepal is to the northeast, north-northeast of India? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Northeast. All the Himalayas. The yeah, Pakistan yeah. is on the left. Okay. So how many years did they do that, your parents? So they... Throughout on and off, you know, they went in the 60s and they came back to India in in between and then they went back again in the 70s. So they started in two areas, Gorkha, Butwal, Gorkha, then they came back to India. Gorkha was like a mountainous place. That's where dad was the principal of that first school. He was in his 30s, you can imagine. Yeah. Then they came back to India. Then they were invited again in a more Tarai place, like a flat place. That was uh, opening in a jungle. It was actually a jungle. Wow. So it's a big, very, very unique story. Um, Bernard would actually tell you all the (laughs) bits and pieces. But what I've heard is the king at that time, uh, King Mahindra would come to hunt in that area because there were tigers and things like that. That was a hunting ground. And uh, he fell ill and one of the ministers took care of him and they built a bungalow there. And I'm making it like very nutshell. And that's when they wanted to, the minister who invited my my dad, he wanted to, he had a dream and a vision just like my dad had. And um, he said, I would love to have a school here, a hospital here and various things and bring electricity in and all. It was a very remote place. No roads, nothing. That was the kind of place, you know. Um, So there was malaria, cholera, all that stuff. Mm So when my parents uh, were invited, they had heard about my dad who had run the school in Gorkha. And they said, "We, I've heard about this. Somebody suggested his name. And then he came to see the school. And he talked to the minister. And he said, um, you will have a very good school here soon. Like he reassured. This is what my dad tells me the story. But uh, he has written down some of the things just for himself. I told him, like, whatever you remember, just write it down. And that's how, that's in the 70s, and that's my early memory. I was only eight years old at that time when I first came to that area. 
So I don't have memory of that mountainous area. That's my older brothers have that. Two of my brothers were born in Nepal. Mm -hmm. So my memory, the early memory was walking. We had to walk from the Indian border to the Nepali border, about 22 kilometers, and go through streams and, you know, all that. There was no roads, nothing. So my dad was a very fast walker because he was already doing that in India. So he and my brothers would walk ahead and I and my mom would be at the back. You know, I had I have three older brothers. So you would live in India and travel to Nepal? Like we would for... come to India to see family oh, during see. the summer. Yeah. So each time we had to go, it would take three, four days because it's a long travel. You're coming from Nepal to down to Kerala. Yeah. It's like going to see your grandparents, mm -hmm. but this is on a magnified. <laughs> right. You have, to you have to walk, take a boat if it's flooding. Yeah. You get on a boat and cross. Then you take a bus, overnight bus. You take a train. It takes about three days to reach Kerala. Because Kerala is the southwestern kind of tip of India. Yeah, it's like yeah. right at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So you're going from Nepal all the way down. So yeah. it's many, many days. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine, like when we were kids, by then slowly the roads were coming in. But my parents' time, there was nothing. They had to walk on hills and everything. Yeah. They would tell you amazing stories that I'll keep for another time. There's a lot of stories there. Were you born in Kerala, in the States, in Nepal? In okay. Kerala. In Kerala. So I was born okay. in Kerala, but my mom had to bring us all back once she recovered from the delivery. She carried all my three brothers and me, and we came back okay. to Nepal. It's, okay. It's, the journey itself is crazy. but. So would you, at that stage in your life, would you have considered Nepal home? It's one of my homes okay. because I have a lot of memory of India too because okay. I grew up in Delhi also. Yeah. So it's like a, all these. Now I guess Pennsylvania is kind of my home too. Yeah. Because you've been here it's, for... I've been here the long, yeah, from 2001 okay. to now. So it's very... We raised our kids here, let's say. Yeah. We raised our three kids in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> three homes of a yeah. sort then. Yeah. yeah. Hawaii also, five, six years in Hawaii. Bernardo did his PhD there. So. Okay. And I think Bernardo told this story when he did the podcast. He was friends with your brothers. Yes. And that's how you two met. Yeah. As you okay. know, football, we say football in India. Here soccer, they say soccer. Yeah. But you know all the countries that are crazy about soccer when World Cup comes. So India was one of the... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my brothers all played together. That's how I met Bernardo. Um, they And our house was very open. And my mom, I think, was very broad-minded, very open. And she was very friendly. I don't think all, I mean, Indian homes are hospitable. People are very hospitable. People come over and eat and all that stuff. But my parents, I think, are a little bit more, <laughs> if you compare. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I don't know if it's the faith of just being a Christian and being reaching out and also um, just keeping the home open for other people to come. And because of my mom's gifts, people would come to pray with her. And she was also running a Bible school in Delhi when we were in Delhi. So when they left Nepal, uh, they both were heading a Bible school, my uncle's Bible school. So a lot of my friends come around that teenage time. They would come and hang out, and Bernard was one of the <laughs> friends. Yeah, yeah. Our place was a place to eat. My mom had yeah. food, and yeah, it's a gathering place, let's say. How would you say that um, your parents doing what they were doing during those years, how did that kind of affect the course of your life or your direction and the things that you ended up pursuing a lot, because I remember as far as I remember at the age of six, five, six, it probably is God who lodged it in us because not all the children will follow that. Because my elder brother, he's a pastor in Tennessee. 
um, probably he, all of us have been touched by their lives in, in, in a very inspiring and motivational way. I think what has touched us more, most is seeing them live the life. Like when you say you're a Christian, how do you live it out? And I can tell you a long list, but I don't want to do that. But one of the things I saw about them were they were very simple, even though they came from wealthy homes or whatever, you know. They left everything. So they were following everything that Christ would do. So in, in a sense, I saw like simplicity, uh, you know, not buying anything for themselves. One of the most sacrificial people I've seen. Very happy, joyful, even in, you know, poverty or even if they don't have enough money. But they whatever they have, they want to give. And that's what I've seen always. It's not about money or position or power. I've always seen them, life just surrendered. And I said, how can that be? It's because of their surrendered life. And that touched me. And I think even now, like for me to articulate is different because be difficult because when you grow up, you don't think all those things like, oh, my dad is like this or mom is like that. Only now when you look back, because it shows through your life, it flows through your life, you know. So all of my siblings and I can, we can say that, you know, um, they have taught, taught us uh, wonderful things. And, you know, mm -hmm. I see... My mom was one of my greatest mentors. She, I was the only daughter, so we were very close. But I, as far as I can remember, she was always telling us, look to God and, you know, you know, God has a call on your life. And I remember from my college days, I was writing out visions. And I'm glad I recorded that. She would see visions. One of my first, uh, first visions she saw of me in college, uh, in my 1920, like that, you know, when you're, trying to decide she said you are jumping out of an aeroplane but you're scared like you want to go but you're scared but God said jump just jump and I'll I'll be there mm -hmm. so it's like I wasn't sure is God going to lead me should I go 100% what should I do but I always had this love for God you know that was I think that connection was there even from a small age and I saw the way she prayed that really inspired me and she would say, God, God will answer. I've seen her healing people. I've seen her delivering people from demonic things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of miracles we have seen growing up, which is very unusual. You know, I think it's usual for me. Yeah. But that's the way I grew up, seeing all these wonderful things and how they ran the school. You know, uh, one of the things about my dad was he was never prejudiced or biased towards people. That's a great lesson I learned. We learned that... Whether you're a carpenter or whether you are a king, it didn't matter to me. And the king did come there. But he would just be humble with all of them and he would serve them tea and all that. So he never he never even sat on his chair, principal chair. He didn't feel like he wanted to. He was always roaming around looking and showed through his life, picking up paper, picking up, doing this, something or the other. So the students also saw him. Yeah. He wanted to show through his life. And... Um, always welcoming and he was very wise i think wisdom is something a lot like discernment because he had to handle a lot of things you know he had to handle even the community not just the school because you are christians coming in like foreigners so he had to handle criticism he had to handle so i think without us even really we just learned a lot of things just by watching him yeah yeah um i want to ask this um, specifically with your mother's visions, I'm curious. Well, first, let me ask: Was this a 
was that type of thing and the miraculous and healings, were those things that you saw more broadly during your time, like at the school in Nepal and stuff, or was it just kind of with your parents? Everywhere. Everywhere? Everywhere they went, and they were invited. And what I'm saying about that area in the school is only one part of their life. Because whenever they would come to India, when they would come to United States, they've come here also later. Wherever they went, within India also, different parts of India they were invited mm -hmm. because people have heard of them. They would go and daddy was mostly preaching and mommy was called to preach or to heal. Hers was mostly the healing um, and delivering and healing. And people would stand in lines. She said there would be times she wouldn't eat even. She would just be sitting there and just one by one, one by one, people would come. And you would see reactions, very dramatic reactions. She's actually been to HPEC. Mm. Yeah, she's, she has seen things here in HPEC too. And um, I think pastor said rest time when she was there. They, were, they used to always come and sit in front. Okay. And the pastor Woody would invite them to pray for people. Yeah. So I would, I would always see a chance if Messiah College, you know, if the students are there, or they should come and hear this, you know, because I always wanted to, them to see my parents and hear from them the story because this is an opportunity, you know. Now they've stopped traveling to U.S. But so people would just hear. It's just by, just by things. And, and then people started seeing dreams. They started dreaming about Christ or they'd come and say, hey, you prayed for me and look, now I've become this, you know. So that's all because they can't remember so much. So people would come back with testimony and say, you prayed for me at this time and this happened. Even she won't remember it because she prays for so many people. Yeah. And they were not part of any mission or anything. This was just their own call. You know, where a lot of missionaries have mission and all. It wasn't yeah. like that. It was just their voluntary life, which was also very different for me because they were not linked to anything. My dad would never accept any mission money. He went all the way. <laughs> It was just the government of Nepal and also the things that they sold from their boarding. Okay. We had vegetable garden, we had things. That's how he kept it up. So, yeah. No, no, like uh, official um, crusades or things like this where they're taking in offerings and things like that. Yeah. If people wanted to collect for them, they would accept it, but they never had any raising money. Yeah. They've had big, uh, they've been invited to speak in big meetings in Nepal. Uh, where I've heard when my daddy preached, thousands of people gave their lives to God. Wow. It was like huge, huge re revolutions. Um, revivals, I meant. And, you know, when you think about it, in the olden days, there was, and it's a new country coming to the Lord. And um, even a whole village came to the Lord, you know, that kind of stuff. So wow. they greet you by saying, Jai Masi, means praise the Lord, you know. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying hi or namaste. That was how Christians greeted. Even now they greet each other, Jai Masi. So they have seen the beginning of all these movements, you know. 50s is probably when the churches started. By the time they came, there were fellowships, you know. But they could be considered also the pioneers who um, preached and did that. And mom said they would pray over the mountains and claim the mountains for the Lord. Yeah, so it's amazing. There were a whole handful of Christians from around Nepal who would gather. Indians and Nepalese also yeah. who would pray. So... And now you live here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, in Mechanicsburg or Grantham? Camp Hill. Um, Camp Hill. Mm -hmm. um, kind of interestingly, I, I mean, I'm sure living a somewhat different life, although your husband is teaching and, and doing some of those types of things your father did. But 
seeing high amounts of Nepali people yeah. <laughs> moving to the area and yeah. stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And you're doing work with them still, right? Um, we don't do work with them. We try to join them sometimes in services and to see if there's an opportunity to connect, but not, not necessarily work with them. Yeah, mm-hmm. we just like, oh, we miss like, the Nepali connection. Yeah. So we sometimes worship with them. Now there is a... I was, I meant, I'm sorry, I meant like your translation work or is that oh, more with Indian people? I, okay, sorry. Um, yeah. yeah, I do uh, the interpretation work. Yeah, Nepali okay. interpretation. It's like a part-time. That yeah. I do from International Service Center. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you, oh, you thought I meant kind of like working with Nepali like Christians. Like ministry, that are I was yeah. thinking you yeah. meant ministry. Are, and there are Nepali Christian churches. Oh yeah, there's yeah. about twelve or something. Mm-hmm. It's growing because the community, the these are actually Bhutanese Nepalis. They're not the Nepalis from Nepal. They're coming as refugees from Bhutan. Bhutan. Okay. So that's different. But there are other Nepalis also who are not refugees. Um, mm-hmm. There is a professor in um, Masai College for the first time who's from Bhutan. He's Nepali. He's a convert too. Okay. He has an amazing story too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where I grew up in Rutherford, there's a old, it used to be, a, I think, United Methodist Church that I think is now a Nepali Christian church. Could be. It could be. Um, I'd have to double check that. Yeah. But, um, there's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How would you say, you know, seeing seeing your parents do that and being up close for that and being so formative for you, how has that shaped your approach to living here over the last 23 years now? Yeah, looking for opportunities to share the gospel. That's always been there for Bernardo and me. I think one of the common things we both had was that, you know, we wanted to serve Christ in whatever way, you know, whether it's an education for him. And, uh, you know, if he gets a chance to share, he will. And for us, like these life groups we have, Bible study groups, meeting students one-on-one, mentoring them. And it's all outside the box. It's nothing like through an organization or through a club, nothing. But it's just keeping ourselves open. I think maybe something we got from our parents, just to be flexible. Mm -hmm. And something my dad told me one day was like, um, don't be restrained by the four walls of the church Mm -hmm. because mission is everywhere, you know. So it shouldn't control it. Because even here when we came, we were like, oh, you know, what church to go and what to do. But now I think I'm kind of free from that because I was thinking, should I join a church to be part of that? That's why I think the flexibility is very important that when we kind of get to this thing with the church, you know, God can use you in so many ways, you know. So church is one of them, you know. And so you could meet anybody anywhere. So that's something we look every day with our family or outside, with students, uh, people we just randomly meet, even at work or something like that, if there's a chance. If you keep yourself open, God can work. I think that's the main thing, keeping yourself open, you know, not to put him in boxes, you know. So God is able to do more work through you. Yeah. All he needs is a willing person Mm -hmm. to be just willing and say, I'm open for this. Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking my language there. I mean, <laughs> I I do, I mean, you would ima- hope I would say this. I do think that, you know, church is important and a commitment mm-hmm. to a local body and those different things. But um, opening our frame of reference to understanding God's work and where it's happening yeah. and how and, and being, yeah, understanding, of course, and surrendering, surrendering to the fact that God's working in all of our lives. Yes, um, he is. It's not even God wants to god is mm-hmm. that's <laughs> the thing it's believing in it and, yeah do we have eyes to see and participate yeah. in that 
And it takes work, actually. It does take work. It's not, if you just sit around, it's not going to happen. So I think we have to sometimes intentionally do that. And there are times we're disappointed because it's, nothing is happening, you know, all that. That can happen, especially when you come from such a background where you want to see things happening. Why aren't people excited? But then we say, like, maybe God brought us here, you know, to start something and do something. And wherever you go, like Pastor Hank himself says, don't complain about the darkness, but be the light, you know? Yeah. And that's really true. And so if you are the light, wherever God places you, you're going to brighten up that place, you know? So that's how I see it. Like, what can I do in this position that God has put me in, you know? So if that one person is able to do that, whether it's for the family, for the community, and wherever you go, you know, you're only going to meet a, this many number of people in your life, you know. So, but wherever you get a chance to just be the light, be the salt, and be of influence. And sometimes you have to push a little bit for that because sometimes I see people are gifted, you know. And sometimes they need that nudge and the push and encourage. All of us do, right? And so instead of ignoring it, but just to say, you know, like I see something there, like there's a spark or something I'm connecting with, you know. So... Uh, that is something like Nicolette and I, I told you about that mm-hmm. and several other people in the past. That connection, if you can see, you know, a lot of my connections are not just HPIC. It's been like, you know, I, I share with someone in Romania or share with someone in India, Nepal or and WhatsApp. And, you know, like the technology has helped us a lot now. Yeah. Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, all these things, you know, helps us to connect. Um, there's one student in Japan. So they, when they see you speaking about God and you are doing that work of God and sharing, then they want to also connect to that, you know. So that's what I just do, you know. Yeah. Are there th- specific things you do? You talked about trying to, you know, be intentional. It doesn't just happen. You have to work for it. Are there specific ways that you do that or practices that you yeah. have? I, I mean, first of all, your own personal life, you know, without that, you don't have that enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. So always living a surrendered, of course, through the years, it's a discipline and always be conscious, like today, how will I spend my day? And it's taken so many years, you know, you can have disappointments, you have challenges with family, children, whatever, you know, whatever comes in the way, but to keep that, you know, God always brings you back to the basics of who are you serving, you know? So that he will take you through different experiences and say, like, you know, okay, are you, <laughs> what's your call on your life? You know, again, you come back to that. So surrendering yourself every day and reminding that God is in power. I think my mom has really motivated me through the years. You know, I can't think of a time when mom has not been there. And she's like, not just because she's my mom, but she does that with everybody I've noticed. Anyone, she looks for an opportunity, you know. So... She's like, God is living and, you know, the Holy Spirit is working and you just have to connect. She always says, it's like the wire. If you don't connect it to the electricity, the electricity can't go through the wire. You know, you are the conduit. You are the pipe. You're carrying people. You're carrying that water, you know, to people. It's not you doing. It's God's power doing. So this constantly she has been saying, and she does that to Bernard and me a lot and to anybody who wants to listen to all of the kids. So I think I'm doing that the same with others, like bringing that energy. And that doesn't come from me. I think it is God because there is a lot of joy in that, you know, and God knows what you are able to do. So I just do that. I just keep like reaching out to people, connecting with them, um, writing to them, messaging them, 
you know, I'm thinking of you or I'm praying for you. I've, I have a chat that I started, a spiritual sisters chat, where um, we just encourage each other. And we are all in different parts of the world. It's so weird. Yeah. So there are different chats I have, you know, with people in Romania or Japan or India. You know, I have our own family we pray with, um, nieces and nephews. Um, that who are also seeking the Lord. So, yeah, when I think of it now, there's a lot of connections. And my mom would always say, show visions. Even this time when I went back to India, she said, carry it on, continue it, okay? This is your call, continue it. I, was, I just teared up when I heard that. I was like, wow, it's so true. Like she said, you know, she's passing on the mantle, you know? It's really passing on the mantle because my grandma passed it on. That's how it started. And so if she had not done it, it would not have come. And I'm hoping this new generation, if I don't do it, that's it. You know, <laughs> what will happen to my kids? What will happen to this? Yeah. So each of us have a responsibility. You're only here for a very short time, you know. And, you know, I think of the kings, the books, kings, books, how one king did well, the other king did not. That's how it is, I think, for all of us. Yeah. You know, I'm present now. This is who I am. I need to do what I need to do right now. Do you experience visions or? I don't experience visions. I have dreams, but that's also not often. But I think the word of God, like sharing, teaching, these are some of my gifts. And um, when I'm meditating and just praying on my own, things come. And then yeah. I write it to people. There's something Mummy Ward would say, don't doubt, because God is giving you that wisdom. And she has seen me putting the word food in people's plate. She said there are a lot of plates which are just sitting there. Nobody's there to put the food. So she would say things like watering the plants. She said, I see you with a lot of plants around you. Water them. Don't ignore them. You know, they need sunshine. They need water. They need. So I was like, wow, yeah. You know, like I have a responsibility. So I should do what God has called me to do, you know. So that takes effort on my part to think I need to do this. So I need to step even if it makes me look like a fool sometimes or yeah. makes me uncomfortable, especially in central Pennsylvania, being a person of color. Mm. These are challenges that we don't talk about. But uh, um, there is wearing also in that, you know, wearing of you get weary sometimes. But uh, I think that gives me hope like in the morning, you know, you are the glory and the lifter of my head. One day morning, God just said that to me. Mm. I was going through stuff and he said, look back. He has, I brought you all the way till now. So I'll continue to lead you. And it just came, you're the glory and the lifter. Lifter means literally lifting my head up from the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm able to get up and say, I can do it. Lord, you're with me, you know. Mm. So when you have that, then you can get up. Otherwise, there are times when you're like, oh, you know, this place. I just, uh, people here, I just wish, you know, all that kind of wears you down. Mm. And I'm sure with Bernardo also, he feels that, you know. So, um each of us have our own experience. I mean, we bought a house in Camp Hill, you can imagine. We never thought we would come to Camp Hill. I thought it was such a closed place. Mm. But every time, but I never felt low about myself. That is something my parents taught. You are a child of God. And they never made us, you know, we always had this confidence, you know. So whenever I walked, I never felt like that, you know. I'm less or I'm low. So I just prayed and, you know, see the opportunities wherever I can connect. And that's what I'm still doing. Yeah. God's at work even in Camp Hill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I My kids will have a different story because they studied in Camp Hill school. So, 
Yeah. I would never say anything negative about the West Shore. Never. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned something. You described your parents this way, and you said something later to this effect about the surrendered life. Mm-hmm. What exactly do you mean by that? Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. This is something my mom said to me always of taking up the cross. That comes with a lot of sacrifice. Everything comes with a cost. So it's giving up a lot of, you know, me, 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 I, 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 Mm. which a lot of people say, you know, you can't get, I'm sure everyone who works in that, that area, who's doing ministry or who are doing humanitarian things, they'll all tell you the same thing, that there is a part of you that wears away. And, but there is a joy in that, I feel. For me, my joy comes from seeing other people happy, that I can do that, not to make myself feel something, but I feel happy when I can lift somebody up, you know, whether it's through my words, whether it's through feeding, (laughs) because mom always said food and fellowship go together, and it's through your house that God is going to serve, more from the church than the community, it's your house. So if God has given me a house and a family and a spouse who loves the Lord, I mean, I've got all these things. It's a blessing. So how can I invest in that? Yeah. So we did the Panera bread. We did the get, you know, making tea and soup. We just started with tea and soup. And we, we were given the ministry, the Panera bread. We didn't even ask for it. It just fell in our lap from the previous church. Mm-hmm. And we just continued doing that. For 13 years, we did. Describe to me what exactly that was that you were doing. The Panera bread, yeah. the bread that comes to the church. Yeah. We started that. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. when we went to India, we kind of, this last time was the last time we just said, let the church do it because we did it for, we did it for another church too. And then it just went on and we saw that as a, a way to also invite young people. Yeah. And without really telling that we are doing it for God or anything, you know, just a, just a way that people can also. And I noticed a lot of international students were coming because they also felt at home with us. We could understand their story of how they are away from the house and they would call us auntie or uncle or whatever, you know, they call. So it's, it's like they always say you're a home away from home. Yeah. And so we were very happy because we also didn't have anybody here, you know. We also felt like they were our family. So this is a new family God is giving, people who are coming to our house. So it's just a simple cup of tea. Even before we joined HPIC, we had, we had been doing that. In Hawaii also we did that, same thing. Opening up your home is a very big miracle, you know. You can see even in Christ's days, you know, where he went and ate and everybody did. Something my parents showed us actually, even without us really noticing it. Because uh, my elder brother, all, all my brothers, they do that, I think. Opening up your home is a very vulnerable thing, you know. But once you do that, God can do amazing things. And um, so bringing in people, like I told you about the jars, keep bringing them and God keeps giving you. Don't worry about what to give them, you know, you just... Invite people over. So that's, we just started with a cup of tea, then went to soup, Panera bread, giving, you know, I would drop individually. So I was doing a lot of volunteer work, dropping things to people's homes. Yeah. yeah. So a lot, lot of, <laughs> if I see now, yeah, we came in 2001, right? So, I think yeah. Surrendering life, that terminology and that concept resonates, I would hope it resonates with anyone who I know. Um, has the spirit of Christ in them. But for me, um, 
Yeah, I, for me, it's been a process, and the mm-hmm. image that comes to me consistently is just um, me kind of surrendering territory to Jesus and to the mm. Spirit in my life, um, progressively over time, you know, right. um, especially with how I'm spending my time. And when you get married, it affects that. When you have children, it affects oh, that. Yeah. But more and more every year, I'm just, I feel kind of in this process of, you know, man, Jesus, you want that too? Right. <laughs> and yeah. that and that. Yeah. Like before I know it, you're going to have the whole thing. Yeah. To which, you know, God's like, well, yeah, that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. Um, but it's been a process for me. And so I, I'm convicted when I hear a process that will be ongoing for a long time because I'm very selfish and really like to be alone. And when you say it's a miracle to open your home, I really... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be a miracle for me to have yeah. a more open home just right. because it... There's a vulnerability to it and, yeah. and not something I'm used to. Um, yeah, that so. is something probably I learned from my parents. I could do that. And maybe Bernardo helped with that. You know, he, he likes to cook. I like to cook. So he joined with that. And he saw my parents also doing that a lot. Not everybody can do it. and But it's, there's a lot of... Um, it's an amazing thing when you do that. You know, just even just being open to someone is like a big thing, you know. And uh, like the germ of wheat has to die to bear fruit. Yeah. It's all, these are all the lessons, you know. Um, the more you die to yourself, the more life you give to others. That's something that I think. The more of the I is there. Like my mom says about the I, but when you cut it across, it becomes a cross. Hmm. So every time you, when that I comes up, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's with the children or whatever, I'm learning still with my kids. And you think of like, how can I be humble and how can I die to myself? You know, how can, of course you should stand for the truth. You should not, you know, like you should say what truth, it doesn't mean like you diminish yourself. That's not what I'm meaning. What I'm meaning is how can God use this opportunity to bring peace, to be a peacemaker, to bring reconciliation, to bring bring more fruitfulness, more life. And I think when Paul said that I die, but you get life, I'm still understanding that, you know. So what does this dying mean? For your yeah. sake, we die every day. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So that, I think, even in the marriage, you know, you're not going to get everything perfect because there are parts of your life where you have to die. And But when you die, you see the other person getting life too. That I'll... <laughs> We can talk about that another time, <laughs> maybe like a marriage podcast. Yeah. But there's a lot to share because Bernard and I have been married 35 years. So there's a lot of lessons to learn. Two different people from two different backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of lessons. You're, you're learning every day, you know. Mm-hmm. You're learning every day. But what I want to um, leave with saying is like the spirit is moving and it's up to us like all the things that I said. You know, if... If uh, just like God said, are you there? Who's there for me? And Isaiah said, I am there. So same way, like, I just need to be surrendered, you know. And if I'm available to God and he's able to use me, I just need to be available for him. And and making space for the Holy Spirit, like you said, you're still learning that. Making space that you don't take up all the space. And the Holy Spirit needs that space. That means flexibility, it means compassion. It means dying to yourself. It means forgiving. Um, you know, nobody's perfect. Everyone has, you know, stuff going on, brokenness and all, all kinds of things. And God is, God works in marvelous ways, 
you know you really can't pinpoint you know so i think those who are hungry come to me he said no i'm the bread of life so that is something i feel like i have to keep going back to him he's the source and i want to draw people to that you know it's not me it's i'm just a pipeline you know leading them to the source of life you know so when he said i am the bread of life or i am that well of water he told the samad come and drink from me and you'll never thirst again so these are all my favorite passages mm-hmm. um eat from me drink from me so come in communion with me from that communion comes everything it's it's not the other way around mm-hmm. so that's why when i said about the bellies is the inner man and one of the topics one of my favorite topics is how god works in our inner man so when as he works in our inner man and he churns us from inside it's from that comes the living water you know from the bellies will flow living water so belly i feel is the inside of us mm-hmm. he's working in our innermost part you know so that's why we have to know what's the length and the breadth and all it's it's really the inner life of each one of us you know yeah um, that god wants and the exciting part is we can learn from each other you know not everybody has everything right so i can learn by from you and you can learn from me and we can listen to each other to also making that space for listening besides the church to have a space where we can talk and you know like what has god taught you like these are yeah. some of the things so yeah the inner man working in the inner man <laughs> yeah uh, rivers of living water coming from our from bellies, the belly right? from the bellies those who believe in me from my from your bellies will flow living water yeah yeah it's just one of the translation <laughs> Well, I don't remember if it's someone can fact check me if it's Greek or the Hebrew where the what we translate as heart, heart more literally yeah. means like yeah. your guts. The inner the guts. <laughs> yeah, it's that inside. The bellies. Yeah. He's working. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, that's really good. And something I should add to my what I said before is with every inch that I surrender to Jesus, yeah. something is exchanged yeah. there, something far better, right? right. It's not just <laughs> yeah. loss loss loss. Yeah. It's you know if you would if you would only let go of your stranglehold yeah. on that little inch yeah. you know i have so much more yeah and so many life. yeah sorry many experiences you can't share through words mm-hmm. it's lost in translation mm-hmm. because it's what you feel inside of it mm-hmm. today i was listening to stephanie gersinger is that how you say gersinger gersinger yeah. maybe yeah Show she's me like your a, face. a singer show yeah. me your face So there are many songs like that in Hindi. We play all the different languages. Maybe one day we can share with you. Yeah. But if it moves, it moves your spirit, you know. Show me your face. It's that time that you have with the Lord. It's from that time comes everything. You know. So all the you're carrying Christ within you and it's the perfume, it's the aroma when you go something happens, the dynamic of a room changes or your presence. It's not you. It's mm-hmm. that surrendered you. Mm-hmm. that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if it's not surrendered people will see that too. Yeah. <laughs> the unsurrendered you. Mm-hmm. You know. So the more you surrender, the more you're dying and more you're enjoying the presence. You're not saying to my yourself like I'm dying. Yes, you say that, but when you're enjoying the presence of the Lord, show me your face, Lord, and when you play the music and it's like and then you come out of that, then there's nothing left. You're just there for for the Lord to use, you know. You don't have all this walls and all the mm-hmm. stuff but it's easy to do that when you're out in the world because everybody is doing that but you don't have to be like everybody you can be just what god wants you to be you know people put up a lot of walls because mm-hmm. of that the individualistic 
thing comes up, you know. There's a concept in from early Anabaptism that is some German word like Gelassenheit. I'm probably getting that mm. very wrong. I don't remember which word it is, but it's generally been translated as um, yieldedness. Yes. And that in there, you know, for the early Anabaptists, the Mennonites, etc., like what they wanted to practice in life, and this was tied into their simple living and their their pacifism and just kind of developing more and more a posture of yieldedness yeah. to God. Yes. Which involved loosening your grip on yeah. physical things, on self-defense, on, on anything yeah. that would, would take you away from this path of kind of just humility and openness to yeah. the work of God. And so. I was just thinking about Peter because Peter changed. Mm-hmm. And that verse comes to me when Jesus said to him, when you are converted and mm-hmm. you go and tell your brothers, that means he was not filled with the spirit at mm-hmm. that time. So it takes that process. It's a process, a journey. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you surrender because I surrendered myself when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, then yeah. you keep on surrendering right. because he's giving you more and more responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, it just increases. So at this age of my time, I'm getting more responsibility. What more can you do? What more can you do? So he just keeps taking, but w- with that, Giving comes also the surrender, you know. So it's like good; they go together. And everyone has different levels of dying and everyone has li- different levels of faith. Mm-hmm. So we should not compare ourselves mm. to others, you know. Some people God calls as someone else and some, you know. So everyone has different faith. You know, I've called you as this or I've called you as that. So our callings are all different. So um, sometimes we say, why me or why should I? But, you know, if you're called for that, that's it. You know, you just follow that. So I'm seeing more and more clearer that now. I can say that now. I can articulate it. I'm seeing that more and more. I knew that from a small age, but now I'm seeing that all these unique experiences God gave me with parents like that, you know, is it's something the more is given to you, the more he's going to ask of you. So why did he give me all those things? There is a reason. Mm-hmm. So I have to flow out and I have to share those experiences. Yeah. That's great. Thank Thank you, Shanti. Thank you. It was great.